This is how we activate our spirit so that we can receive the word of God. One, two, let's go. Now I declare that the Lord has given me the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. And I've been filled with the knowledge of his will. In all spiritual wisdom and understanding. As a result of this, I'm walking in a manner worthy of the Lord. I am pleasing him in all respects. I'm bearing fruit in every good work. And I'm increasing in the knowledge of God. Now again, I incline my ears to his word. The word is entering my heart. It is giving me light and direction. It is healing me in every area. And it's making me more and more like the Lord Jesus. In the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. 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 All right, can you just turn around let somebody say it is well with you in the name of Jesus. Understanding will come to you today. All right, that will be your portion today in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, let's take our seats. The Lord is good. I said the Lord is good. All right, let's open our Bibles. Psalm um, 139. Let's start from there today. Psalm 139. Uh, we are continuing to look at um, what we have been teaching concerning how to build up our faith. I feel like saying it to us again. Faith is crucial. It's important we have strong faith. It's important our faiths are not weak. Remember the story of Peter. That is where I get in my instruction from concerning what I'm saying now. Peter was the beloved of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus told him, direct instruction, come, when he requested, if it is you, ask me to come. The Lord told him, come. Yet, as the Lord was watching him, he began to sink. You know the story about Peter walking on water. He began to sink. And Jesus made it clear to us that the reason why he sank was because his faith was small. The reason why he sank was because he began to doubt the reason why he sank is that, this is the point I'm making, no matter how good a person you are, if your faith is weak, you will sink in this life. I hope you're getting my point. I need to say this again. Faith is like water. It's a substance. Faith is something that can finish. Now, please, get me. Don't Listen, this is very important we emphasize it. There was a time, I mean, we all know the story of Solomon. As a young boy, you know, he excited the Lord. When he asked something, God said, what should I do for you? We know the story. God was very happy with him. He demonstrated so much wisdom that people would travel. Maybe you don't understand. Solomon used to give lectures. He had like a school. I was taught in the book of Ecclesiastes. Of course, I did a teaching here then, that time, on the, um, the book of Ecclesiastes. I noticed that that book was not exactly written by Solomon himself. That's my own understanding. Those were the notes people took while he spoke. That's why you will see, the, at the end, they'll tell you that the preacher also taught other things. And the man writing wrote to his son, so, so my son, you know, he, he, gave, he gave a summary of Solomon's teachings and added his own commentary on it at the end. It was not like Solomon set out to write the book of Ecclesiastes. If you read it properly, you'll see it. Look, look at the way he started. He explained. Just go there briefly. I don't know if it will help us. He said, The words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Then he began to describe the things that Solomon you know, preached about. That's where he began. These are the words of the, uh, the preacher. That is, is a man who used to have meetings like this, and people will go and go and listen. At the end of it, at, at the end of it all, the man who wrote that, he added his own comments. This is my own understanding of it. If you read that chapter 12, I don't know whether it was Solomon that was saying that, but you see at the end, verse 9. Say, moreover, because the preacher was wise, he still taught the people knowledge. Yeah, he gave good heed and sought out and set in order many proverbs. The preacher sought to find out acceptable words. Now, I'm not going to do all of that. You see, they were giving comments. So verse 12, that's what I was looking at and looking out for. That verse 12. The person who wrote this, he now said, But beyond this, my son, be warned. This was not Solomon speaking now. It was a person who took notes from the things that Solomon said. Solomon was the one preaching. I'm trying to say something here. People traveled for his schools. 
He wrote over a thousand songs. Solomon taught biology. He taught agriculture. He taught geology. He taught science. I'm not kidding. About, I'm not joking. That was the extent of wisdom that God gave to Solomon because of the faith he demonstrated towards God. But this same Solomon, in the latter parts of his life, what happened? He backslid properly. He backslid. He backslid. He began to follow young, young girls to go and worship idols. He started slowly. And let me not spend all my time on Solomon. The point I want to make is that his faith weakened until it's virtually finished. Events of life wear out your faith. If you ask me, why did Solomon backslide? You don't have the capacity. You don't have, the, you don't have enough faith to sustain a thousand women. It's not possible. That was where his faith finished. That was where his father's faith too finished. I hope you know that. That's why the father wasted his faith. You know, once I was in the U.S., this was when I was writing the book, Great Faith Can Be Yours, and I wrote inside the book. I was talking about to build faith. And then, right behind me, they were showing classics. You know, the TV was on, and that station was showing classics of um, um, Billy Graham. Classic Billy Graham messages. And I was, as I was writing, Billy Graham made a statement. You know, I was backing the TV because I didn't want to be distracted. I just heard him make a statement, and I was writing on that same subject. He said, any man committing adultery cannot have great faith. I turned, I wrote it down. If you go and read the book, it's there somewhere. I said, as I'm writing this, the TV behind me is on, and Billy Graham is saying. So if you're wondering where the faith of Abraham, uh, of uh, Solomon went to, you now know. He gave his strength to women. My emphasis is that faith can finish. Forget things are even just wasted. There are things you just use on the daily. If, whether you do anything or not, it wears out. It's the law of entropy. It just wears out. It just depletes. God has done this in such a manner that you must constantly infuse spiritual substance into your faith and build it up. And let me say something to you. When faith has gone down, the bearer of it will not know. It behe- Look, spiritual things are like that. When you've lost it, you will not know until you try to use it and you can't find it. It's when you're trying to use it, you can't find it, you know that this is gone. Samson did not know it was gone. Because Samson normally doesn't feel anything special when they want to do what they want to do. Samson, of course, you know, was a normal man. I probably am bigger than Samson was. Okay? Alright? Just a normal slender man. No big deal about him. Until that anointing comes upon him. And he would say something like this, and you think it's tissue. <laughs> and he would take a lion and tear a lion to pieces. And you would have thought it was a day-old chick he took. And that thing had happened to him so many times. Once Delilah told him, arise, the Philistines are upon you. He said, I will go out as at former times. He got up, except that he tried to open the door. The door showed him the normal resistance he gives to human beings. Two men held him. Ah, suddenly he realized that they were bigger than him. Alone, he could have tackled a thousand men before, but the spiritual substance was down. My emphasis, he did not know. So when your faith is down, you will not know. You will think, you know why? Because you thought your faith was the ability to quote scriptures. And the scriptures you knew, they are still inside your head. I hope you are getting my point. That is a problem about spiritual things. They wear out, they wear down, they deplete, and the bearer thereof does not understand. This life, I think one of our major assignments is to fight hard, work hard to make sure we keep ourselves in the love of the Lord. That's why in, in the book of Hebrews we say that let us be careful that these things don't slip away from us. They just slip away gently. I thought about it. Why should there be an old prophet in a city? And Jeroboam was there. And the Lord was not speaking to that old prophet. He went to speak to a young prophet. And that old prophet did not even know that anointing had departed from him. And God was not sending him to anybody again. It happens insidiously. There was a time I got worried. Worried in quote. You see what I mean? Because I saw many preachers who went backwards. When I say backwards, people that I watched and listened to when I was young as a believer, 
that as you get older, you don't want to follow them again. And, then I be, and there were so many, I began to worry for myself. Does it, is, must everybody go that way? When we did um, this, the survival and the death of Moses, in our Learning from Moses series, I explained why Moses had to go. Moses also, also thank God his own was okay. He wore out. And God seen the wearing out of Moses. He quickly removed Moses. It wasn't like Moses did something terrible. From what Moses did, David could have done worse and gotten away with it. Most people did worse and got away with it. Think about it. Everybody had a second chance. Moses never got a second chance. David had a second chance with Uriah. Murder, adultery, bearing false witness. He got a second chance. Saul had a second chance. Because someone came to his house. God wanted him to repent. He did not. He got a second chance. Virtually everybody gets a second chance. Moses did not. The first error he committed, God said, sorry, you are not entering the promised land. Think about that was the first error. All these years he had not disobeyed the Lord once that we are aware of. The one, once, once those gods, and it wasn't a terrible thing, no. It wasn't like he built a calf. Aaron built a calf. He was still high priest. You forgotten? Aaron built a calf and placed the name of the Lord on the vain thing. He said to them, this, behold Israel, your God that brought you out of Egypt, golden calf. That's a death sentence offense, but he remained high priest. David didn't, Moses did nothing of sort, of that sort. What did Moses do? Moses, they said, when you get there, speak to the rock. He got there, carrying stick, begin wine up. I don't blame all of you now. You want to drink water. So me and Aaron must have given you water. Watch water come out. Boom! He struck the rock. And this is the annoying part. Rock, the water came out. See, God would have just let the water stay inside. Then that would have reminded Moses that I said speak. You know, when you hit the rock, water doesn't come out. You look at yourself, look at the whole of Israel. You hit the rock again, water doesn't come out. Then Aaron will pinch you. Say, my younger brother, my lord. <laughs> you told me, sir, when we're coming just now, that the Lord said, speak. Okay, sorry, sorry. Water, come forth. Then water will have come. But he struck the rock once and water started gushing out. And God said, because you got results through the method I did not command, you are dying today. Now this is the point. Do you know that he begged the Lord three times? After the third time of praying, the Lord said, come. I have a new commandment for you. So what's the commandment? Don't pray about that matter again. That was harsh. It appeared like. But go and listen to our series, Survival and Death of Moses. It was not harsh. It was a height of mercy. They were so close. God loved Moses so much. He knew the amount of grace and power in the life of Moses. He does not make mistakes. I don't know whether you're getting my point. For him to make that simple mistake... Things are bad. I don't know whether you're getting my point. That is right now, these people, <laughs> I hope you're getting what I'm saying here, that there are mistakes that some people don't make. They are too well trained. They are too powerful. So by the time Moses made that mistake, because they know, you guys don't get it. This guy is worn out. Israel wore him out. He carried them for so long, he's tired. The first sign of tiredness is this mistake you saw? So God used that, in quotes now, as an excuse to remove his dear friend from doing worse things. So I saw it scared me that even Moses, that is why, see, God may not give you commandment concerning Sabbath. Give it to yourself. He gave Israel, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Create your own Sabbath period and keep it holy. Holy means sacred. Switch off this phone. You are a preacher. It's not every invitation you accept. You see musicians, I feel sorry for them. Why would they want to wear out? You know, when somebody was asking me about one musician when I was in university. This musician whose name I will not mention. He was running everywhere. Everybody was going to, everybody was following his music. After that album, what happened? He disappeared. There are many reasons that that could have happened. But one major reason I feel it happens to people. Is that that year they told me he played shows that he did that year, 363 in one year. 
360 or 363. But I know he had less than a handful of days that he was not out doing one show or the other. You don't get new inspiration for good music if you're always outside. That's why God said, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. You should take time out. That's when you refresh. That is when you receive new inspiration. So preachers also, of course, time will come everybody, invitation here and there. Ah, I'm very selective. Go and ask uh, Reverend Yenka. He's the one that handles us. Once you just come, once I listen to the invitation and it looks like you have, you've planned a program and you're looking for where to insert me. I'm not coming. I'm not angry with you. There are those who like it. I just reduce the amount of invitations I go for before people wear you out. And if I come to your church, you make me sit down for two hours while they are doing drama and choir if it's ministry. You're not giving me a room for 45 minutes. Just that's the last time I'm coming. I won't fight you that day. What's wrong with it? Nothing wrong with it. Just not my thing. I reduce the amount of wear. I, do you get my point? The amount of, you know, wearing out opportunities that come into my life. Because when you wear out, you become useless. If Moses can wear out, <laughs> trust me, anybody can wear out. Just give us an idea. So faith is like that also. This thing depletes. It depletes. You will have expected that the older people get, the stronger they should be in faith. Why is that our stories are usually when we are younger? I don't know whether you are getting my point. I'll tell you. Because as people grow in life, the cares of this world, you know, the cares, go to work, wake up, wife, children, husband, you know, money, bills, drive, mechanic, all those things will just clutter the whole thing. And faith reduces but we are not aware because knowledge is still plenty. You gather knowledge over years. You don't gather faith over years. It's a daily thing. Give us this day our daily bread. bread faith is a product of a daily bread. Faith is what? Daily bread. Give us this day our daily bread. That's the way it works. What you've known for a long time, that's knowledge you have acquired, is not the same thing as faith. Faith is something, you know, think about, you know, <laughs> when I was in university, I still remember. I don't know about now, students could be very hungry. Are you getting me? So occasionally you get this, this party that's happening. They invite you for something and food is so plenty. Food is so plenty. I remember a friend of mine did his birthday, came, said we should all co- come to his house in GRA in Benin. And just about 15 of us or so, we all went to his house, just guys. And it's, of course, they prepared, you know, from a wealthy home, you know, one of these GRA big houses. They kept on giving us food. You know, this kind of thing that we we'll eat, eat, the plate, the plate will go, they, they know, what do they call that big? They, is it chaffing these dishes? They call them. Uh-huh. So, then it will go down. Then suddenly a door nearby will open. Somebody will come and pour. They just kept us served. You, all kinds of, you no know, foods, rice, you no know, swallow, meat, fish, chicken. Then ice cream will come in, cake. You know, when a rich man picking one, one do birthday. <laughs> is that not what it is? <laughs> Buff up, seriously. Anyway, so I remember that day. We ate and ate. One of my friends, <laughs> he was laughing. So somebody cracked a joke. No, of course, guys, after I said sometimes, we was like joking and laughing. So somebody cracked a joke. And one guy was doing like this. <laughs> so I said, his name is Emeka. I said, Emeka, what's the problem? He said, Banky, I can't laugh. If I laugh, <laughs> that food will come out from everywhere. <laughs> this normal laughter you're laughing, he couldn't try it. I remember that day. I was feeling bad. Do you know why? I was wishing there was a way you could eat and eat. It would last a week. <laughs> but we had filled up. We filled every corner of our stomachs. This was in the afternoon. We left for school maybe around 6 o'clock in the evening. Guaranteed by next morning, we'll all be hungry. Guaranteed. Next morning, everybody will be hungry. That's how faith is. You have to nourish it on a daily basis. The faith you had five years ago, believe me, it's not working today. The faith working today is the one you acquired between yesterday and today. Of course, the more you have faith, the easier it is to boost it. 
Okay? But you need that booster dose all the time to keep the faith going up, going on. That's how faith is. And that's what we're teaching again. And listen to me, let me say it again. Without it, you can't please God. If it goes down, you're a sinner. No, 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 listen, that's not supposed to scare you. That's a fact of life. Many times people think faith is only about, sin is just about, uh, these are the Ten Commandments, when you break them. No. Once it's not being done by faith, it's what? It is sin. Once it's not pleasing to God, it is sin. He said every unrighteousness is sin. What, when he had to say that, he was trying to explain something. That once it is not God's perfect will, even if he doesn't judge for it, it is sin. Even if there's no commandment about it, it is sin. Even if it looks trivial and small, it is sin. Every unrighteousness, John was telling us, is sin. They now began to tell us that there are some on different levels. But that we should bear it in mind, no matter how trivial it is, every unrighteousness is sin. So if faith is down, everything you are doing is sinful. Why? Without faith, it is impossible to please God. And let me say it to you again. Periodically sit down, judge all your actions, judge all your decisions. Check whether they are exactly in line with God's perfect will. If you think about it, and listen to this. Remember we said last time, if I, you abide in me, and my words abide in you. So if abiding in God's word, you think about the decisions and actions you are taking, you will know some things are wrong. There is something happened in my office. One man just did something that very, very annoyed me. So immediately, I did a, I, I took a counter action. Now, so some of my junior colleagues were there. So at the end of the day, later on, the now came up, I was supposed to sign something as a result of my counter action. So now came, says, sir, there it is. I said, take it back. Go and give it back to that guy. He said, why? I said, I just found out that all this one I'm doing is fighting my own battles, and it's wrong. I know he learned a lesson from it. It's a younger person, of course. It was my student before. I said, what the man is doing is wrong. Leave it, let it fly. I said, because the action I'm taking right now, I'm going out to fight my own battles. And I've thought about it. The Lord Jesus is not exactly excited about that. So, let it go. And I explained to me that, but, but this one, I have to finish this one. Well, it wasn't something terrible that I should just finish this. It was for everybody's good, actually. But I said that next time, I won't do it again. He said, yes, you understand. I said, I don't want to fight my own battles. I can't give you details now, but if you see, you'll have thought that, ah, hey, ha, how are you carrying this thing so far? Like once, <laughs> of course, last uh, April 1, I tweeted from Proverbs that like a madman that deceives his neighbor. It wasn't me. It's the Bible. Is it me that said it? It's the word of God. That like a madman casting arrows and firebrands and all of that. So is a man who deceives his neighbor and says, was I not just joking? Somebody now replies, ha, ha, Pastor Banky. Somebody can't joke again. Listen, that's your problem. It's God's word. Every unrighteousness is what? Sin. So that's why you sit down periodically, analyze your actions, analyze your decisions in light of the word of God. There are many things you are doing. There are times I want to open my mouth. If I happens a lot these days, I'm about to say something. I quickly did a quick scan. Does the Lord like it? Does the Lord like that? Would the Lord be happy with this? Will it? No, I quickly check a few scriptures. I say no. I'll drop it. I just say no. Forget it. What am I going to say? If faith goes down, you start walking in sin as a habit, and you don't even realize it. But you will not know why. You have knowledge. That's why Paul, Paul said, "Knowledge puffs up. Knowledge is annoying in that it just makes you proud. Even when it's no longer working for you, you are still proud because you have it in your head." Even when it's no longer relevant, you still feel superior to other people because your head is full of knowledge. And one of the things you must understand about faith is this. Talking about faith and knowledge now. Is that the knowledge, listen to this, oh, the knowledge that carries you 10 years ago is not working today. I will explain. Knowledge builds for you spiritual weight. At the same time, it gives you support. The, okay, don't my NYC is. I sat outside and I saw a cock land on a line, close line. You know, cock, fowl, the male fowl. Are you getting my point? Land on the close line. And they are very good at that. They like to land on that and they want to balance. And they can't balance. 
So the thing will swing this way, and the cock will flap his wings and says, I'm not going away. The rope will go the other way. So after you just sit down there and be watching swinging, and the cock will now start panicking. You know, he start making noise. Go, 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 go. As if this rope will you stay in one place. Now, the problem with the cock is that, it's, it's, it, I mean, it, it lands on branches of trees. It can land on maybe a metal line. So I don't understand why this rope would not stand. So I sat that day, I looked at it. Like David would say, I looked, I beheld, and I took instruction. I ran into my room and started writing. I said, I still have it somewhere. I said, on what do you stand? It don't know me that if it was, if it's a, it was a sparrow that sat on that line, it wouldn't move. Smaller birds will sit on that line, and there will be no pro- problem. Was anything wrong with the line? No. What was the problem? The weight of the cock. In fact, Western Nigeria, we have a saying about it. It said the cock has landed on the line. Neither the line nor the cock is at rest. <laughs> now, it don't know me that day. I said, so I went, I ran into my house and began to write because instantly I got understanding. And I said, on what do you stand? This is the point I'm making. To whom much is given, what is it? Much is expected. There are scriptures you quote for God as a little child. And God will say, okay, get what you're asking for. You quote as an adult, you get, beat, you get beaten. Tell the you flog that guy. Seriously. Let me give you an example. Whatever you desire, you believe that you have received. When we're young, then we, we, we know. So without desiring everything. And God will honor the desires. After a while, he will say, look, oh boy, let me explain something to you. People outgrow some things. When you are older than certain ages, you shouldn't come to me and say, I desire milk and sugar. I expect better things to come out from your mouth. I expect scriptures that have to do with responsibility. To fill your mouth, not scriptures that satisfy your desires. I don't know whether you get my point. So at that time, you bring out new script, those old scriptures and God will not answer you. Why? You are too old for sucking on milk. I don't know whether you get the point. Milk is for whom? Newborn babes. As newborn babes, James said, desire the sincere milk of the word. Why? So you may grow thereby. As grown children, Peter said, Paul said something. He said, we speak what wisdom amongst those who are mature. He said, start discussing deep things. Start discussing wisdom. Milk, so you can grow. He said, but after you have grown, Paul said, we speak hidden wisdom amongst those who are mature. That is, mature Christians don't discuss milk things. They discuss what? Hidden wisdom. So when they want to pray, they don't go with milk. They go with hidden wisdom to prayer. Otherwise, their faith is weak. What am I saying to us? We have a responsibility. Christianity is not a joke. It's not a joke. It's not a joke. It gets to a point in life, you look and see this Christianity. Now, wow. Like my wife, they sent it around yesterday. I didn't even know I saw it, and she says me that said it. When did I say this one? That I said, Christianity is a death sentence. I said, yes, I remember. I said it. That is a death sentence. You are dead to self once you follow Christ. When you are a baby, he told you this is the way to get your needs met. Anything you want, chop it, chop it. Just once you saw, see that corn. Believe God for corn, they will bring corn to you. And it happened to you when you were a little baby, a baby Christian. You believe God for corn. Corn came your way. Every little thing. So you became covetous. I don't know if you've seen Lion King. You know, babies interpret things differently. Mufasa took, what's the name of the little king? Simba. Was showing him the accent of the kingdom. He showed him this one, all of that is ours. He said, cool. So after a while, the guy was just a, he was just enjoying everything. He said, now one day I'm going to be king, I'm going to rule it all. If you remember that. I'm going to rule it all. The father said something to him. He said, there's more to being king than having your way all the time. What did the boy say? Say, wow, there's more. <laughs> Are you getting my point? Of course, you, are, you know what the father was saying. But being a little child, his interpretation was that there's still more than this. <laughs> this is a good life. Being king is the ultimate. That's what I mean. When we are children, every scripture is used to massage our desires. Once you find a scripture, massage your desires. Use it to claim. They called it name it, name it and claim it gospel. 
It wasn't like it was a lie, except that now we know it is name it and give it up. We know it's name it and die for it. Do you get my point? Remember what they were said about John Knox? John Knox lent faith so much. He knelt down and prayed and said to God, give me Scotland or I die. <laughs> Did you understand what I mean? What was his faith? Taking territories for the kingdom. When I say give me Scotland, I didn't want to eat Scotland or farm all over Scotland. He wanted every man, every woman, every household in Scotland to be converted to Christ. So he got on his knees and said, Lord, give me Scotland or I die. That's a different level of faith. Christianity is serious business. That's the point I'm trying to make. So we make it a habit to build our faith deliberately, regularly. Whether you feel like it or not, your faith is going down. See, listen, see, listen, me speaking, the same thing. So I'm not indicting you, it's us. That's the way life is. Whether you feel like it or not, what? Your faith is going down. The only way it will not go down is that you are constantly building it. That's the only way. And I started by saying something, I want to say it again. Things stop working for you the way they are supposed to work because your faith is down. You will speak to a sickness in your body today. Be gone. It's gone. Ha! Wow. So you now think, I have learned what? The keys. I've learned the technology. There are certain things you press. There are certain scriptures you use. That's how we used to say those when we were little children in faith. Not knowing anything. So there are certain scriptures I use for such things. We grew up and realized that, man, the scripture doesn't work by itself. And Jesus said that you learn, you quote the scriptures, you cram the scripture, you say the scriptures. Thinking that in them you will have what? Life. Say no, the scriptures are a testimony of me. Life is in Christ Jesus. The more you abide in Christ, the more life is released into you. I like the way David personally explained it. When people are trying to explain something to him, but once he always says, no, the life is not in you, the life is in Christ. If you detach yourself from him, you don't have any life in yourself. So you have to struggle all the time to abide in him. You labor to enter and dwell and remain inside his rest. It's not that I've learned two scriptures. When the faith is down, you spoke a word, cancer disappeared. That was 15 years ago. Today, ordinary headache will keep you hospitalized. But the same scriptures are still there. Why? But you forget that, listen, that time, you were romancing with the word on a daily basis. You were wrapped around the word. Look, there are places where your faith is built up. I hope you know environmental faith affects you. Yes, it does. If you sit amongst unbelievers all the time, like when I say unbelievers, now please get my point. I don't mean unbelieving unbelievers. I mean Christians who don't believe anything. They are the people that kill your faith. Unbelievers around you can't do much. You can shut them out. Paul said it like that now. Paul said, look, listen, if I tell you not to associate with unbelievers, I'm telling you to leave the world. He said, when I say don't associate with people who do evil, I mean Christians. He emphasized it. They are the ones that affect you. They are the ones. To the story of a man, I, read, I, I heard Kennedy talk about it. He got healed, walked out of a wheelchair. When they were ministering the word, his pastor came to visit him, and the pastor explained to him that God does not heal today. And he was the one that opened the door for the pastor to come in. When the pastor wanted to go, he was back paralyzed. If an unbeliever had talked to him, nothing would have happened. So if you want your faith to be big, watch who you associate with. Watch it, watch it, just watch it. People you hang around, they affect your faith, they deplete it, they suck it. Just they are like mosquitoes. One drop at a time. Very soon you become anemic. You get up, I'll go out at, at, at other times. It's not method. Listen, the Christ's walk is a living thing. No, have you? we walk with Christ in a living manner. You did it yesterday, it does not mean it walk today. It's not a method. It's not a method. Just wanted to pray for a man. He told him, follow me. Let's go out. The same word you will have used somewhere else was not going to work in that place. So I say your environment is heavy with unbelief. He dragged him out of the, out of the village. Laid hand on his, on his eyes. What do you see? I can't see clearly. It, that is, the unbelief around there had 
cluttered everything. And it, finally, he prayed for him again. The man said, now I see clearly. He said, don't go back to that place. Otherwise, you'll go blind again. What am I saying again today? Protect your faith. Build it up. It's not the same thing as knowledge. It's a living spiritual substance. It finishes. It evaporates. It depletes one way or the other. We have a duty to constantly build it up. That's the point I'm making. Alright? So I've been looking at that. Building up our faith. Now we're looking at four areas in which we deliberately exercise ourselves to build our faith up. One, we say we'll sit down deliberately, interpret our lives according to scripture. It's not like we're trying to deceive ourselves. It's because we know the truth. Life was made by somebody. It was. And the manual he gave, we have it, is the scriptures. The prophetic word. The words of the Lord Jesus Christ. The words of his apostles and his prophets. We have them compiled for us. We have them there. All right? So, we take our lives and interpret them in the light, in light of what we read inside there. That's number one. Then we say our desires, our expectations for life. Okay, that's the general thing. The expectation we have for life. And we broke that up into two areas. Number one, what is our destiny supposed to be? Well, again, we don't go by our own desires. We go by what is recorded. From this book, we see the book in heaven. Everybody has a book. Everybody has a book. By feasting on this common book, we are able to see our own individual books in heaven. And anytime we want to make decisions, we bear it in mind. We are not making plans for God to bless. We are trying to discover what he has planned. And I said last time, I want to repeat it again. We can't make long-term plans. Life is broken up into days. Sufficient unto each day is evil thereof. Sometimes days, 24 hours, but oftentimes days are seasons of our lives. Are you getting my point? Last time I gave you an example, if you're a student, you're studying a course in school for five years, five years is one day. Okay? Some days of life can be 15 years. Some days of life can be two years. Depends, depending on what you are looking at. But whatever it is, each day you find yourself prove faithful in the affairs of that day. That's the primary thing. What will happen afterwards? Say, occupy with this until I come back. Those people had no idea what he was going to do with them when he would return. But what he's given them for each moment, they must be faithful in that. So that's why we don't need long-term plans as believers. We can have desires. We can have all kinds of desires. Don't worry, your long-term plans are guaranteed to fail. They will. They will. They will. But don't feel bad. Don't feel bad. Because eyes have not seen. Ears have not heard. And it has not entered even your own heart, the thing that God has prepared for you. So don't worry about it. What I've been teaching, what I was teaching last time, is for Christians to understand that you are dealing with a father who has planned every aspect of your life. Let's read it again, Psalm 139. Let me start from verse 13. Where I want today is verses 17 and 18 specifically, but let's just go back so as to take it in context from verse 13. He said, for you formed my inward parts, you wove me in my mother's womb, I will give thanks to you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, and my soul knows it very well. He said, my frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret, and skillfully wrought in the depths of the earth. Your eyes have seen my unformed substance, and in your book were all written the days that were ordained for me, when as yet there was not one of them. I want to follow this very well, verse 17. How precious also are your thoughts to me, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I should count them, they will outnumber the sand. He said, when I awake, I am still with you. Or like New Living Transition says, when I wake up, you are still with me. Now, if you notice verse 17, he said, into verse 18, How precious are your thoughts to me. How vast is the sum of them. If I should count them, they would outnumber the sand. Now, let me just continue what we were saying last time. Remember I said, okay, so I was trying to count those things again. So, number three, we've deliberately framed our expectations for life on God's word. And as part of that, the desires we have are generated from the things that God has promised. And last of all, I said the way we speak. We're going to talk about that also. All right, so now let's continue on this one, on the desires we have for life. I was explaining something. 
that we must be careful to understand that we're not dealing. Listen, listen. This life is not we think up thoughts and then go and present them to God to bless. That's how we used to think. We will think that we think up thoughts and then go to God that he might bless it. It's difficult for many of us to appreciate you know, and accept this. That, you see, you don't even have, you know, look at what he said now. He said, the vast, the number of the thoughts God has towards us, if we're to number them, he said they outnumber the sand on the seashore. That's what he was saying. If you go and read them, um, I mean, if you read that verse um, 18, that is, there are so many. And what that means is that every aspect of your life, God has thought about them. That's one thing we need to understand. We are not generating desires and giving to God to bless. If ever you generate a desire, give it to him to bless, and he blesses it, it will always come out inferior to his plan. What I say is a matter of fact. If you sit down, that's what I said the other day, or many days now, don't ever forget those things. Listen. Interact with the word of God until it creates things inside you. He'll make you like some things and make you not like some things. There are things that people will like normally, but you, you will not like them. Why? Simply because you, God's word has created, you know, God is a spirit. The Bible says, he said, so what it means is that if you interact with him, he infuses your system with his substance. Let me explain this. Let me explain this again. Look at the book of Genesis. Eve was in the garden. And not for one day did she want to eat the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Then somebody came one day, pushed a spirit into her. Now, you know, you know the story. Satan came and told, look, you will not surely die. Then from that day, she now had a new desire. She now looked at the tree and began to desire its fruit. Your interactions affect what you desire. I don't know whether you are getting my point. Your interactions in life affect what attracts you. It affects what attracts you. The way you interact. That is, don't think your desires are just come out of nothing. That's why I wrote that little book. Someone is controlling you. No matter how strong a man you think you are, somebody is controlling you. What am I going to say here? What we need to do is to drink of the Spirit of God so much... That listen, what he desires is what we start desiring. I like one thing Oswald Chambers says. They ask what is the will of God. He said the will of God only makes sense to those who are not walking in the will of God. What it means is this. That for the child of God, the will of God should be as natural as breathing. That until we bring up the issue of breathing, you don't even think about breathing. You, just, you are just breathing. That a child of God should walk with God so much that his own natural desires. Please get it. He's not saying that anything you desire will now is God's will. No, what he's saying is that you should walk with God so much that what God is feeling becomes your feeling. Do you get my point? So that every, on a daily basis, you are thinking the way he's thinking. You are loving what he's loving. You are desiring what he's desiring. Now that's what he wants. What am I going to say? Listen to me. He has thought, that's one thing we need to accept deliberately. He has thought about everything in your life. If you have a pair of shoes that spin through you in one corner, he has already thought about it ahead of time that you need a new pair. That's why, you no, know, these days I've understood prayer. Prayer is not banging the head, trying to persuade God to do something. And when the Lord Jesus was going to talk about prayer, that's what he said. He said, why these meaningless repetitions concerning your desires? He said, before you ask him for something, what did he say? He already knows. <laughs> Listen, there are needs you have, you will have next year. As of today, he knows them already. So it's not when you get into next year, you and your friends now sit down and decide what you need and go and surprise God with the desire, with the list. Say, so, we reach here, man, this are not easy. This is the list we have created. We go through it. You are the Lord that can do all things. Do all of it. No, the truth is that that's how we pray. It's an unconscious thing. We think that God is there to answer our prayers. That is, we'll come up with the ideas. And then he will make 
our desires and thoughts come to pass. So that if we don't think, there's no plan. That's why we rush up and down for all kinds of business seminars to solve our financial problems. Everything that comes to town, you are there. Forever Living Product, you are there. GND, you are there. Long Reach, you have joined them. In case you don't know, some of those things are manifestations of unbelief. You're running up and down. It's called, you know, helter skelter or to and fro. Yeah, that's the Bible one. You're running to and fro, pursuing your desires. Listen, let me say it again. The word of God is true. Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all other things will be added to you. If things are not being added, you are not seeking the right things. It gets me tired all the time when I see the world teaching Christians how to behave. Some people can't... Listen, anyway, we keep learning. That's what this is all about. Every money-making idea, you've jumped inside. So the friend of mine told me, ah, put money here, it's going up. I said, bros, my name is Jonah. Once I enter your boat, we're all sinking. He said, I've told you. I said, don't worry about it. What will I do with the money? If I thought about something. What do you want to do with the money? Once my son, Victor, started saving money, saving, I said, what do you want to do with it? He didn't know what he would do with it. He said, maybe I'll help you with my school fees. I said, hey, laughing. <laughs> At the end of the day, we now agreed that now that you have no need for this money you are saving, let's go and give it to the less privileged. So he gathered everything. I went and donated there. I said, good. And that's me, ordinary human being. God in heaven has made provisions for your future. In this life, listen to me. I'm about to say something very, very weighty. Any thoughts about your future and to make provisions to prepare for your future is unbelief and is sin. Yeah, in that sense, weighty. So I like that moaning and groaning and the twisting and people twisting in their chairs. <laughs> I like it. I like it. I like it very much. Listen to me, children of God, every money you put aside must be an assignment matter. The worldly thought of saving is, un- is ungodly, is satanic. I'm not, I, I, look, let's call it spade a spade. Because when you don't tell the truth, people can't obey God. And I'll be held responsible. No, you know what Paul said to Timothy? Certain heed that you will save yourself not only you and those who hear you. When somebody you know, enters into trouble tomorrow, let them not hold me responsible. Sometimes when I want to say something, I know it's offensive, but I'll still say it anyway. Go and get offended. I'm going to my house. Thank God I'm married. You cannot refuse to marry me. There's <laughs> nothing my wife wants to do now. She has already married me. No matter what I commit, you know, so I tell people, say, it makes my life easy. As a single man, you can't preach everything. All the girls will run away. So all you preachers, go and marry first, then you can preach anything. <laughs> the Lord is good. <laughs> what am I going to explain? Listen, many of these things, worldly. Shouldn't I save money? <laughs> if it's because of your future, don't. If it's for an assignment, okay, we'll think about it. I'm not dealing in detail about money management. Now listen, two people may do the same things. You understand? The reason why a Christian does is different from the reason why an unbeliever does. Everything we do is to show ourselves faithful before God. Because he promised that don't worry about what you will eat, what you will drink, and what with what you will clothe yourself. He said these are the things the Gentiles seek. That is when we go out in the morning. It is not what we eat, what we will drink. You know, I noticed something. Paul, having this revelation, when he wanted to teach Christians to work, he never emphasized what they would get for it. He said, let him that will not work, not eat. Why did he say that? He said, because he understood the structure of the church. They have such a good welfare system that laziness could be bred. They will just be breeding laziness. So for him, don't eat becomes a punishment. To instigate people for responsibility. He said, but let him that steal, steal no longer. He said, but let him do what? Labor with the hands so that he will have something to eat. Huh? Thank you very much. He didn't say so that he have something to eat. So that he will have something to give with, to people that are in need. 
Paul emphasized that the labor of a believer is not to feed himself. So when they start saying, okay, buy stock, you know, because, because, you know, the economy may go down. If you buy for that reason, is the reason why your own economy will go down. First time I told people buy stock was because Charles Ludo said, we need to increase the capital base of our banks. And from this pulpit I preached that Christians should go and rescue the economy. Say, restore our captivity, O Lord, as streams renew the desert. And God answered, those who sow in tears shall reap with joy. So I said, believer, I said, go take your money, sow into the economy that you are asking him to restore. A different mindset. A different mindset. I pray we'll be converted to the mindset of God. We'll know that he's very faithful. God can provide food in the wilderness. This world teaches us how to worry. Global warming, global warming, global warming. I hope you know, 90% of what they say about global warming is political agenda. It's not about science. If I get into that now. You know what they have done? They don't let people like us talk. You know why? Give a dog a bad name so you can hang it. They say you are a naysayer. They do not label, label people like us climate change deniers. That would like to deny climate change. Which is a fat lie. Nobody I know denies climate change. What they only say. You see where I'm going? The world today structured an agenda. And most people believe it because you hear it on CNN. After a while you see ignorant people. Do you know they gave Al Gore? He was vice president to uh, Bill Clinton. So he went and contested against George Bush for president, and he lost. The following year or two years later, okay, I don't know, shortly after, they gave him Nobel Peace Prize because he was championing the cause of climate change, how to protect our environment and prevent climate change and all of that. And when I read it, I laughed. I said, what has this guy got to do with climate? You see where I'm going? Now, because we do things like that, everybody has bought the idea. Say, you know, the climate tomorrow, what about the future, you know? So all of us now worry. We now worry. Nobody said the climate is not changing. You know what they just say? And that's why I believe. I say it has, it has always been changing. There's no proof that we are the cause through the cars we drive or the cars we don't drive. And I noticed something. The very, okay. If I ask you now, what are the causes of global warming? Now, let me just give you education, okay, so that you understand what I'm trying to say. I won't say too much on it. Is, is the globe getting warmer? It's a matter of fact. That's just, it's a matter of thermometer. You check that. The question is why? Alright? Generally in the world today, there are five scientific theories of why. One of them, one out of five, it's what is called the anthropogenic theory, which means human beings, the activities thereof, so it's causing the globe to warm. Now, this is what I'm making. So if I ask you now, what are the things that we do that's causing the globe to warm? Who can tell me two? No, really, I want to know. Just give me two. Anybody who knows? No, people here. Eh? The, deforestation. Mm-hmm. Burning of firewood, thank you. Bush burning, thank you. Eh? Industrial emissions, good. I wanted to hear that burning of wood, bushes, industrial emissions. Now, you know why I wanted to hear that? Those are the very things that were listed in the 70s as the reason why the globe is getting too cool. I'm not joking. You can take Google. You know Google is your friend. In the 70s, the campaign, because everywhere was getting so cold. So they wanted to know why. So they said is because of industrialization. That the coal, burning of coal, the soot that comes from all those emissions cloud the atmosphere that the sun cannot reach down. <laughs> the Lord is my witness, I'm not lying to you. You know the way you read this one you are reading now? In the 70s, that was it. And the headline used to be, are we heading for another ice age? Because in the 70s, the globe was, the winters were getting cold and getting cold. Now, the same arguments are now used. When they tell you that it's been proven, nothing has been proven. These are computer models. What am I going to say? 
They teach us how to worry. And many Christians will say, wait, you think God that made this earth did not think about the tomorrow? That's where I'm going. We are so concerned about that tomorrow. Now, listen, Christians are not saying be reckless. We are not saying that. But we are also saying don't scare me about tomorrow. Don't scare me about tomorrow. The world has made fear of tomorrow normal. I said something the other time to us. I just need to say it. God's word, we have to obey it entirely. Sometimes, sometimes, when they talk about save for retirement, it makes a lot of sense. But you will be solving problems that you are not supposed to have in the first place. One major reason why people have to lay up their treasure hard for retirement is that they live a single life. They live only for themselves. And when they retire, there will be nobody to be there for them. The same people will come and educate you, have only one child, have only one child. Then tell you save for retirement. You know if we all live in the communities that God said we should live in, there will be no orphans, there will be no homeless people. But they teach, now, this is where I'm going. They teach Christians to worry. They teach Christians to worry. So Christians will neglect the word of God in different aspects and follow the way of the world. I pray that we will learn the carelessness of faith. You know what I call carelessness of faith? What everybody is worried about, you don't worry about it. Like I said last time, what will the future of my children be like? I am as confused as them. I have no plans for them. None. None. Sufficient unto the day. So if you are in primary school, my plan is for your primary education. When you read primary six, we discuss your secondary education. After that, we discuss your university education. What will happen in your life afterwards, I don't know. Even if I tell you today, hey, go and study this course. University education is for education. Do you get my point? It's to fill the brain. You are here. Learning this by the word of God that I am teaching. That was, I did not get an admission letter into university to study Bible teaching. What's the name of uh, Dunamis? Polydenture. Those are my seniors in the profession. I don't mean teaching profession, I mean medical profession. Some of the biggest pastors in Nigeria didn't go to theological school. They went to school to study medicine. And God, when they finished, because they're very good. Now, go and start a church for me in Abuja. Many of you may know Tony Rapu in Lagos. Same thing. Tunde Joda, the same thing. One of my professors gave me a job then after I finished my postgraduate in, 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 when I finished in Lagos. Called me to come to his own center. Trying to persuade me to come. He now mentioned that Tunde Joda was his classmate. They now made a statement that let, that helped me to understand that his place is a place I must not go. As it's unfortunate that the man just abandoned everything now went to ministry work. As he was saying it, I knew that I was abandoning everything too and following to the judge. So <laughs> I said, there's no way me and this man will not quarrel if I follow him to go and work. What am I going to say? So your children can study anything they like. Doesn't mean they will be that thing. Please, I hope you are getting my point. I'm praying that Christians will learn what I call this carelessness of faith. A careless person and the person of faith, I said to you before, they look similar to each other. The difference... The difference is in the matters of today. If you give a person of faith work today, he's so faithful in it, because faith and faithful, there's no difference in those words in Greek and in Hebrew. So a man of faith is a faithful person. So if he's in school, secondary school, he's very good. He will do his work, do his assignments, iron his shirt, look neat, be responsible, then what are you going to be tomorrow? He said he does not know. Don't think he's planless. If you can see how he's handling today, there is a person of faith. Those who are careless, who are not people of faith, this is how you know them. Everybody being in class by 8, they wake up at 8.30. Their shirt is squeezed. They have what to call iron deficiency anemia. They can't iron their clothes. No iron. That's what we mean. You see, they are close, squeezed. Anything you tell them to do will not be well done. You can't depend on them for anything. 
You're not telling that what's your tomorrow going to be like? Say, I give that one over to the Lord. The Lord who can take care. Just say, oh boy, poverty is your portion. The way you are going, you're not going anywhere. No, tell him, warn him. 